Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? It's Thursday. It's the podcast. It's the Two Shot podcast. There's, there's many other podcasts out there. I don't know if you were aware of podcasts. But thank you so much for joining in and uh, downloading this because it's very important. It's not important, but it's dead nice. I am still in Manchester. It's the final week here. And I'm looking out of my big window over up to Saddleworth. I'm looking at the natural, the natural, the National Football Museum. There's Arndale. It's a glorious, beautiful, blue, sunny, sunny evening here in Manchester. And uh, it's episode 94. And we recorded this not in Manchester. We went to London to, uh, to meet the one and only Mr. Gaz Coombs, who you'll be very pleased to know is one of the loveliest men I've met. Um, I've been a, a huge fan of Supergrass since they started. So uh, the fact that Gaz wanted to come on, um, yeah, it was a really big deal. And we really got down to it. He's, uh, he's really lovely. Uh, but I wanted to talk... I sound like he's really lovely, like I really, I really love him. I do, he's a really nice guy. Um, yes, I wanted to be my friend. Um, and, he, yeah, we, uh, we went out for a few pints afterwards, myself and Griff, and... Um, he, one of his team, Julie, and a couple of his new bandmates who, who work on, I think they worked on Matador and certainly World's Strongest Man and Salamander, which is the new single. And yeah, we had a really good chat. But first, before we get to that, I uh, want to talk about last week's episode with Jesse Cave because there was a huge response to it. Um, I'm not sure that everybody realise what they were getting themselves into when they were listening to it because it did go very deep and and it was very emotional. But the response from you um, and certainly the messages and emails that we've had uh, have been very overwhelming. And I know for a fact that right... Oh, no, actually, two days ago, Jessie was going back up to Edinburgh and she was going to start doing um, the last run of Sunrise. That's it. That's She's going to put it to bed after this. So if you are in Edinburgh, make sure. Who have you got to see? You've got to go and see Honest Amy with Amy Booth Steele is up there. Uh, Madam Overy with Rosa Hedman-Hulsh is there. Both have been having incredible reviews. And I've got a feeling that both might be sold out. So it's going to be literally that... That quote that you used to see on theatre posters, beg, borrow, or steal a ticket. Don't steal, I can't condone stealing, but, you know, if you have to steal, just don't mention my name. And uh, now you've got Jesse Cave, obviously. Also, uh, my pal Matt Ford is up there. Where is he? Pleasance? He must be, yes, he's at the Pleasance. Matt Ford is at the Pleasance. Do go try and see him. Again, he might be sold out. But there's, there's loads to see. It's Edinburgh. You'll just have an absolute ball. Jack Rook is there. He's getting incredible reviews. And Jack's incredible. Um, 
Can I say incredible anymore? No, I can't. I'm going to move on. What am I saying? This week is episode 94. So we went to Soho. We arranged it with Gaz. He was going to come and meet us in our lovely spiritual home that is Maison Bateau on Greek Street. Big shout out to Tanya Wade for letting us have the downstairs. And um, we got down to it. We spoke about school. We spoke about music, obviously. Uh, we spoke about Supergrass. We spoke about all his solo stuff. Let's get down to it. This is episode 94 of the Two Shot Podcast with the mighty Mr. Gaz Combs. Enjoy. I shall see you in a bit. No, you see, that's he used to play piano, and then he worked in sort of the the kind of sales, you know, area of distributing sort of diagnostics. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I can never trust it. I that's why I don't do that anymore. But you can see how they sort of soundbite it, I guess, because what the way I just described my dad's uh, old profession isn't very sort of like uh, catchy. So you know, food scientist works, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird, and uh, a lot of weird information on there. That's I've never been really asked to sort no. of change it. I very, well, I very rarely go on. That's that mm. really taught me a massive lesson in one doing these conversations yeah. is to we'll just find things out as we go along yeah because yeah. it's fit straight from the horse's mouth and it can't you can't be wrong can well you? exactly yeah um how is was it your leg yes how, everything all good now it is it's really good actually yeah it's feeling um yeah i tried to run for a bus recently which was a bit shocking just the kind of uh just a feeling, you know, yeah, there's a lot of work to do to get it back up to kind yeah, of, of you know, running around and How did it happen playing again? tennis. I was just messing around with my daughter. <laughs> we were just playing, sort of play fighting. Yeah, and it did. just, I don't know if it got too serious or not. I can't, I can't sort of remember the moment particularly. But um, yeah, next thing I knew she, from the floor, she'd kind of like sort of karate kicked out. And then my leg was just sort of planted and it just <sighs> kind of, it kind of went inward. The real sort of a bit like a sort of footballer's injury, you know, right, you yeah. can get sort of hammered from the side. And um, yeah, they, they straight don't know away. Their own strength though, sometimes. I mean, they? yeah, I sort of felt for her. She was just, she was mortified. Yeah, bad. She was just sort of went into a heap saying, "I've killed Dad." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, no, 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 come here." And I sort of the first thing I did was just got her to come and sit next to me, put her arm, put my arm around her, and um, yeah. Yeah, were you, were you some... mid-tour at that point or anything? No, well, I was just about to, to um, do a final run of, of um, solo shows. Um, I guess it was about two months' worth of gigs, some over in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. Some great ones are booked over in like Italy and Spain, um, which I was really excited about and been for years. Uh, so no way of was... just going on in a wheelchair. Just, well, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think in, in essence, yeah, I could play a show like that. But it's everything in, be, it's in between all the well, travelling and getting yeah, on a plane no, no. and going through airports and, um, yeah, I'd rather not be ferried around on one of those sort of airport carts. Um, it's, it's not the best look. No, it, really, really? Not really. But uh, no, it was it was bonkers. You know, it's just the first time I'd ever broken a bone in my life. So it was uh, the weirdest feeling when it happened as well. I just. I knew that when I sort of stood up, there was, like, nothing there. And it's just such a strange sensation. Yeah. And it didn't really hurt. It wasn't, no. There was no... There was not really pain. It was just... Well, probably your adrenaline was up from the play fight. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you so were. probably yeah. helped. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's just that... It was more, it was more the kind of, uh, yeah, the sort of uh, realisation that, right, it's Friday night. Oh, I've got to go to A&E. Yeah. Was, that, that was what pissed me off the most, actually. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, having to go and do that. But... Uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was, they were amazing. I went to the Radcliffe at um, 
John Radcliffe in Oxford, and they were just incredible. Our wonderful NHS, they were sort of... Um, it was it was quite overwhelming, actually. Yeah, how, but... How, how brilliant, brilliantly I was looked after and... and well, we need to and, appreciate them, don't we? Yeah, and just how diverse everybody who was working, who was dealing with me, uh, the, all the backgrounds and the different cultures, and it was just a kind of beautiful thing to see, you mm. know, just kind of first-hand, if you like. You don't sometimes realise how how beautifully it works until you're, unfortunately, kind of it, in the yeah. middle of it, yeah. So, in a way, because that break for, that forced you to take that time off, didn't it, really? Because you couldn't yeah. be doing that tour. No. Are you quite good at switching off and not not working? Take, taking off your sort of creative head and putting on your family head and not, focusing on that? Not particularly. I mean, I've, no, it, it can be kind of tricky to sort of compartmentalise and just sort of separate, yeah, separate things when they're kind of, when I'm in the middle of them. Hmm. Um, but it was, it was kind of easier because I knew that it was like, right, yeah, you're out, you're out for sort of five, six months. So, you know, I, I quickly realised that I just needed to sort of put it into some writing. I was going to say, did you do a lot of writing during that time? I tried, well, not as much as I would have liked to. Probably hammered more box sets than anything, really. <laughs> just the sort of early days of... Needs Moscow's, you well, know, you know got to go just, with it. You know, getting through Line of Duty and... Uh, <laughs> I, ha- I highly recommend that. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of... I guess it was sort of... I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed being able to completely switch off, actually, for a little bit, yeah. That's kind of I think healthy, I, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think... Yeah, because normally there just isn't that excuse to, or the opportunity to, to mm. fully switch off when you've got no choice. Um, yeah, so that was... Um, the first, first month or so was all right, and then it just got more frustrating, and... Like I really wanted to kind get of back out there. hammer through some ideas and, and, and do some writing, which I did, you know, did in the end, and then I brought a, brought, brought a track out about a month ago. Uh, which is Salamander. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of, um, yeah, that was the, the, the result of, of some sessions I'd done with the band, and, um, yeah. That it's been nice like back playing festivals. Mm. Yeah, it's been great, actually. There's been some... There's been some crackers recently, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant to play with the band I've got there. They're so uh, they're so great. They're, they're so infectious and, and enthusiastic and, and just such brilliant players. It's a joy. And has that been the same band since when you started the first album? Or Not it, really, they... no. It's just kind of evolved over the years, yeah. A few, a few of the guys have been in from, from pretty much near the beginning, but, um, yeah, it's kind of evolved over the years. But yeah, it's a great setup. But now you've got it all. Perfect. Yes, just in time for it all to stop for a bit. So uh, yeah, no, I've kind of finished touring for the year and back into the back into the studio writing and and a few other kind of exciting things that are on the way, maybe for next year. Yeah, but you're still not stopping. No, nope. the nose touring. No, 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 no. Exactly. It's just sort of back into the studio and. and um, is that always the? Is that usually the yearly routine that this happens and the summertime forces you to get out and then you go back into the studio or yeah. you, do you have the control to sort of switch it up? Yeah, kind of. And there's a sort of like internal clock that sort of I, I just know when I'm done touring for a bit, um, and equally like you know I know when I'm sort of when I've had enough of. Um, working on the same songs in the studio over and over again. You kind of just, yeah, just something tells me that it's time to to shift the, um, the setting and the um, the approach, you know. How are you touring? Do you enjoy it or do you... Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I mean, it, it feels great. I mean, it's not really... It's, you know, there's not particularly much to 
kind of adapt to as far as like age and stuff. It's all pretty much, you know, you know, the energy levels are, are still high and it's just, you just sort of attack it, you know, and, and once you're on the road, I just find that I get quite, I get quite single-minded about it and, and quite sort of um, focused. And it feels great. It, it, it feels, it feels really good. Yeah, I mean, maybe you have to kind of watch out for a little bit of kind of over-partying when you get excited and, yeah, of course, first, you, first night you, on tour or something. You've, you've got all of, that adrenaline and you need to sort of channel it in yeah. a certain way. And when you're working with great people as well, you know, people that you really love and, and uh, that you get on really well with, it's easy to get carried away and just, you know, do a great show and then you kind of have a big night. And, but, uh, yeah, you have to sort of ease up on that a little bit at times. And also, you know, you get to a certain age and you go, I can't be doing that stuff anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do you know when you're in the studio and you're writing, you were talking then and you... You go over a song and you go over a song. And you, do you get to a point where, no, I'm happy with that, that's finished? Or is it, does it ever end? Or are you a perfectionist in that respect? Um, I think there's, there's yeah, there, there's always this sort of natural point where it feels, it feels like I'm pretty much there. And it's usually when the final vocal goes on. Mm. I know that there's going to be, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a few elements that are left to kind of tidy up or to, to rearrange or to kind of maybe edit. But, uh, yeah, between myself and Ian Davenport, who I worked with on the last two records, I think, you know, we, we kind of know when it's, it's time to, to let it go. Yeah. And I always find that the mastering is, is kind of always quite key because I don't... I kind of mix a lot myself as well. I right. kind of... I don't know. I like to mix because I think it's all kind of an ongoing process and, and, and some of the moves and the balances that I've... That I've got over time of, of yeah, have been there since the beginning of the, the recording. It's kind of like a kind of constant mixing process. So like like um, you know, in like the old days where you'd sort of have a mixing session at the end of the recording. So I find that sort of mastering's great because you just sort of send it to somebody I trust and they kind of tidy up all the all the kind of shit sonic yeah. bits that I didn't spot because I'm kind of not hugely technical, you know. So you just sort of find ways of making it work yeah another huge changes from certainly recording with a band to being a solo artist yeah i think just the sort of freedom to experiment it, it, it just i mean it depends you know if you're in a if you're in a band that it's all firing and it's and it's and everyone's on the same page i think that you know there can be nothing more um exciting and liberating you know working together with people to kind of get to a get to a magical point yeah but equally if it's not firing it can be really frustrating and, and kind of like you know can feel like you're trying to get Theresa May's Brexit deal through you know it's, I don't know it's just like <laughs> well, feels well, would there be less and, battles yeah and less battles I guess but just the sort of freedom to explore and experiment without people being bored in the room next mm. to me you know or um, you know which again it, it sort of you know can work on the flip side um, but I, I, I enjoy working on ideas that are a bit bonkers or have a strange starting point. And I think, yeah, I think if there are other people with me, I think they may not kind of see what I'm seeing yeah, or what I'm trying to get. And also you've, you know, you've probably got to keep exciting yourself and being inspired. Yeah. And if your taste is different to somebody else and then... Yeah, there's, there's, a, a, lot, there's a lot gets lost in the sort of trying to translate an idea as well. It's, it's hard to explain, you know... Mm. 
what you're trying to get from an idea or a part or, or a sound, sometimes it just takes a couple of hours of, of, of getting really, you know, crap sounds and... and, and Thrashing it you out. Know, yeah, it not, kind of not working until you get to a point where you sort of come full circle and, and, and find a way around. It's kind of it for loads of things, though, isn't it? If you keep trying and failing and failing and failing and then you actually get there in the end. Yeah. With some, with, could be whatever, couldn't And it, really? it's kind of if you've got the energy to to do that to yourself, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I sort of have, I think. Yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm quite happy to, to, uh, to get lost in, in, in frustration and, um, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, being worried about failing. You know, I think all those sort of things... I think, they, I think it just makes it what it is when, it fi- when you finally get there. And know? it's kind of part of the creative process with anything, really, isn't it? Mm. It's always this, that same path. And sometimes it's hard to express exactly what you mean. Yeah. Or exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah, I just find you've got to get as close to that initial thing that was in my head. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But it's kind of like when you sort of, you know, when you're a young band and you sort of rip someone off a little bit and you try, you know, you don't mean to. But <laughs> yeah, but you're kind of so inspired by yeah, them, it's going to... And you sort of rip them off and you realise that actually even when you've ripped them off, it doesn't sound anything like them. Because <laughs> it's like your version of trying to sort of do something. And, it, you know, you can never do it like, like Hendrix did it or like no. Dylan did it. So you just sort of... And it's a bit like that, sort of almost like kind of trying to work out what, what you want yourself. It's kind of like ripping off yourself. It's like, right, I've got this... This beat, I, this something in my head, this beat and this bass line and this kind of Mellotron part, and I just, I, I can hear it, but... And so then you just, yeah, just explore and, yeah. and, and, and go round and round until, until you get something. And, yeah, so to be able to do that on, your, on, 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 on my own is, is, a, is a kind of very liberating uh, process, yeah. Guys, can we talk about growing up? Let's. Let's. So, born here... In Oxford, yes, right? born in Oxford, yeah, yeah. And then, did you stay here for long? Uh, no, probably like a couple of years in Oxford, and then my dad got a job over in in America, in California, in like seventy eight, think seventy nine. So you were so what? Two, I was like two, I was three, three. I think yeah, three when we moved over there. Is it just you, guys? Your mum, dad, you? No, I've got three other brothers. Three other brothers? Yeah, so there's four boys, yeah. Right. So I'm sort of in the middle. There's one younger and two older. Uh, yeah, so we moved over there for like three years, 79 to 82, I think. Um, so did you start school over in... I was just like kind of, um, you know, nursery, I guess. Yeah. Um, I really remember an awful, no. an awful lot, but just, I guess I remember the, the kind of... Um, the lifestyle, and you know, as you would, if, you know, as a young kid, the kind of, uh, you know, the boiling hot pavements on bare feet, and and kind of hot rain, and yeah. swimming pools, and don't get that much over there, do we? Bob's big boy <laughs> uh, diner and stuff. Yeah, no, uh, you know, it was sort of yeah, definitely, it really stayed with me. I mean, I think it probably also because we, we when we, when we came back to the UK um, in '82, we'd still go, keep going back to the states to. Oh, did you? To kind of have holidays, and my dad sort of... There was still a connection there. There was still a lot of connections and stuff, so... It just, yeah, became a massive part of those early years, you know, just sort of life over there. And So every time I go back, it's, it, there's a sense of sort of... kind of a, you know... Um, a kind of a home, you know, from the beginning. Yeah, mm. kind of a... 
and feeling about the now. beginnings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of most. Yeah, I've been back on every record um, uh, to tour and stuff, mm. which has been brilliant. It's always amazing. The last one I did was was great. It was actually just a solo tour, just uh, on my own with some guitars and drum machines and piano and stuff. How did you find that? <clears throat> Is that quite liberating just to be out there by yourself? Yeah, yeah, it was actually. It's sort of. Uh, it kind of taught me quite a lot, actually, just about how to deal with gigs in a different way when there's not the kind of um, the safety net of uh, of like I guess a a big band sort of also a big crowd and mm. the, the 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 ease to to be reliant on hits, you know, to to pick up the set when you want it. It was all very sort of quite exposing and you know. That's kind of scary. It's quite nice to be scared. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it also sort of helped with just being able to speak to the audience a lot more, you know. Because of the the, the intimate spaces. Yeah, maybe a little bit of kind of fight or flight in terms of, you know, I can't just stand here and (laughs) in between songs just do nothing and then move to the next one. You you know, and I was, because I was never really a big talker on stage in Supergrass. It was kind of, didn't really have time, to be honest. I was kind of, no, just those kind of two and a half minute punk songs and you just... Just, just straight through. Was into the next one, yeah. But um, are you getting better now at talking to the crowd? I think just just in, in just feeling like at home, you know, on stage. I think and and you know, I mean, there's never particularly huge amounts of stage fright or anything. But definitely, as a kid, you know, I would I would kind of it would feel kind of otherworldly. Mm. You know, I look back at some Glastonbury performance, uh, a Glastonbury performance of '97, I think it was. Or maybe it was 95, it might have been our first one. And I, I just, it was just the other day, so it just came up online. And, um, and it was insane to see it, because it was, it was that kind of people going on for miles, as far as you could see. Yeah. And all going nuts to, to all right. And I can't really remember it. I bet you know? it was just a I think it a might have blur. been. I think it might have been a bit, yeah. Sort of walk on, you go, fuck. Look at that. Go <laughs> on, that Right. Count us in, Danny. One, two, three, four. And then it's just... And then you walk off stage. A bit like a kind of, you know, out-of-body experience. So it's kind of, I guess, maybe just having the space in my head more to appreciate it and soak it up and yeah. just to sort of know where I am. Well, kind of, that's kind of been really cool, actually, just to... Because there's been some big, big, big shows for me over the last few years as well, doing, you know, even playing the headline the Palladium in London, which was a real highlight... Um, from from last year, and uh, and Glastonbury Park stage in in 2015 was another big one uh, for me and my solo stuff, mm. and, and you know they were just sort of it's been it's it felt really good to to actually feel the moment properly, yeah. Because I was talking to a musician last year, and she was saying when I'm performing, when I'm performing the songs, absolutely in my element. When the song stops, mm. and she feels that she has to get some sort of dialogue with the audience. She just goes really internal and she, she can't handle it. Mm. And she, but she said slowly, she is, getting, strange. She yeah. is getting better. Yeah. But when she's performing and she's singing, she's a warrior. But it's weird. It sort of depends on what sort of mood you go... I, I find it's how, what, what mood I go on stage in. Is it really affects everything. Do you have and not that I ever go on in a bad... Well, you know, I have done, I guess. But No, but then again, we all have good days and bad yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. So it's more how your sort of personal... Headspace creeps into the show because, yeah, you know, play, once you hit the song, you know, regardless of how I'm feeling, um, I can deliver it with 
with the same sort of emotion and sort of focus. But mm. um, but yeah, I, I I I see that. I get some gigs where the song ends, and I just don't really feel like talking to anyone. It's like I just sort of, sort of wink at one of the band and go, "Can I just start it?" <laughs> you know, I don't know. And it's not, I'm not being antisocial. I just no. I, actually, I don't want to don't want to say anything right now. But um, but then you know, yeah, other shows where you can't shut me up. I guess you know. <laughs> it just depends. And how was school life when you got back here? Uh, kind of went to a few different ones. Um, what what from moving around? No, actually, no. We we sort of moved back to the same village we left originally. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, well, my mum was. Uh, she was. Uh, she used to be a, uh, an English teacher when she was younger. I guess there was a sort of real focus on, on, um, on doing the right thing for us academically. But I, it was a strange sort of time for me in a way because both my older brothers had done, you know, really amazingly well, like ridiculously well um, at uh, GCSEs and A levels. Like my. Older brother Rob got ten A's at GCSE and sort of made the local paper and, and shit. Yeah, all right, and, show um, off, Rob. <laughs> I know, you know what I mean. And then I had to deal with the fallout of that, like you know, sort of four years younger, just starting off at secondary or, or edging into secondary. And, and were you quite academic or no, not really, not at all. no, no. And it's well, I mean, you know, English and and, and it was sort of more English and art really were my things and music. And, and then music took over about eleven, twelve years old. We started playing at school in the drama studio and trying to you know, put on gigs for our mates. Where did you know. that come from, the music? Was that always just within you or did, was it passed down from somewhere? I think it was definitely the, the, the environment, I think, growing up at sort of parties and, and, and Christmases and sort of Easter gatherings and stuff. My uncles were um, very musical and, you know, bring down acoustic guitars and, right. and we'd sort of have little jams and play old sort of Eddie Cochran songs and, and it was that was always that was always a real laugh at these kind of big gatherings and um, and in my yeah my uncle left his, his record collection at my place at my mum's house I guess must have been about 10, 11 years old and it was a massive record collection and um, yeah I was told never to go down to the basement to mess with them because right. of course every night yeah. I went down and uh, started just kind of flipping through them and, and just found, yeah, just all this incredible music, you know. You know, Sex Pistols and Blondie and Patti Smith and J.J. Cale and Neil Young and Dylan and, and, you know, Bowie. And it just sort of went on and on. It was like a... All the great stuff for a musical education. Right yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. And it's, I just sort of, it was like kind of discovering a new language or something. It was like, yeah, I can't stress enough how much it changed everything just sort of because you know at the same time I guess what was this this was like sort of you know 86 87 and you know you know I was yeah I was still buying I was buying you know Mr Mr Kyrie on seven inch at, at the local so, solo supermarket and yeah. stuff like that you know I was doing that sort of shit um into into the charts or whatever but then then that's when things like the Smiths and the Cure and Susie the Banshees started coming in and sort of um you know, then Spaceman 3 and the Pixies and um, Dinosaur Jr. and stuff. So it was kind of, yeah, that was a really, I think, probably, you know, 11 to 13, 14 was, uh, was when I sort of discovered, the, 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 you know, the fundamental, you know, uh, great bands. And, and when you were 
sort of in your drama room with your band and you were sort of doing these gigs at school, were you, were you, were you doing the covers that were inspiring you or were you sort of writing your own stuff? Yeah, it was mainly covers. I guess we do, yeah, we do some Cure stuff. We did a bit of Smiths and uh, we used to play Freak Scene by Dinosaur Jr., which was one of our favourites. Right. And, uh, yeah, our songs were kind of... <laughs> I don't know, they were kind of, they were sort of weird. They were, they were sort of songs we had, like, uh, the girl with the removable face. That was, was a title. Was, that was a title, yeah. that title. And, um, <laughs> and she just used to sort of pull it off and use it as a frisbee and stuff and all the things that she could do with <laughs> her removable face. Uh, it's a sad story because she didn't have much of a life. But, um, I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah, it's so no, sad. it's really, I know. But uh, I think she went out in the end. And then sort of, I don't know, what else do we have? Um, yeah, uh, You Keep Punching Me. Right. Which is like a sort of punk song, just about getting sort of beat up all the time. <laughs> but it was it was a good song actually. I, I could imagine sort of slaves doing it now, actually. You know, but sell it to them. Yeah, they need a hit. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so we were sort of flirting with songwriting. Yeah, and um, there were some fun ones. Yeah. Did you think at that point when you were that young, no, this could be a career for me? No, I don't think so. Not, not. Well, you know, maybe when when I hit kind of fourteen, fifteen with the Jennifers, which was our first sort of proper mm. band, I guess. Um, there was sort of little hints around that time, and we, I mean, it was kind of ridiculous. We got signed to to Nude Records. Uh, what like age? A, I was fifteen. Jesus, when that yeah, so that young. Yeah, my mum had to sign that deal for me <laughs> after a gig. It's quite mental. I remember it quite clearly. It was a gig in Oxford, and they. They'd sort of set up this big table after the, after the show and all the crowd had gone. And sort of this big table that my mum was sat at with these kind of bits of paperwork sort of looking through them with their glasses on. Yeah. Quite bizarre. Um, had they come to see you or did you know there was yeah, we the knew that was going to happen as you well. You knew it was yeah, happening, yeah. right. And, uh, so that, that was a lot was of pressure kind of, for a 15-year-old knowing that the record company Well, yeah, I mean, it was only two, it was like a two-single deal, which is a bizarre deal to sort of get, but, you know... Was, do, does things like that I still mean, happen I now? Don't, I don't think so, I doubt it. I mean, you, you can get sort of, like, production deals, you know, like, development deals and stuff. Maybe it was a kind of form of a development deal, but, yeah, it was like, look, give us two singles and we'll take it from there. Um, well, it's a bit like in the television industry where they would do your development deal and, and then we'll see. OK, yeah. Then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then, all oh, right, write me... Episode you one. Do a pilot or something, yeah. I do a pilot, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, totally. Yeah, totally. So it's kind of that was that was quite a, that's quite a big thing for us, I think. You know, and um, and how did the singles go down? It was all right. Yeah, you know, I think it was it was. I remember hearing it first time on the radio. We were uh, we were at the I think it was a joiners in Southampton, um, and we. Just we'd done a sound check and we'd gone to get some food at this little cafe, and uh, yeah, it just got on. back today. Came on the radio, and that, it was it that was must kind have of been no, no, it, such a feeling. Yeah, it was insane. It was it was bonkers. Um, yeah, we didn't hide it. We were just like legging it around the cafe, just going, "It's us." No, should you? You were fifteen. Yeah. No, what an absolute buzz! That's like a dream for people. Yeah, no, it was, it was bonkers. Um, it's still quite nice now, though, even when you switch on the radio and something comes on. Yeah, of course. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no. It, I mean, because actually, it's it's. You don't, yeah. I mean, you I listen to the radio. Granted, no, no, yeah, I listen to the radio all the time, and it's not like I'm always hearing my stuff. You know, you don't. You know, it's kind of uh, when it comes on. It's kind of interesting because I can sort of listen to it a bit more. Um, 
sort of subjectively. I was going to say... You know, I don't listen to it as my sort of song, in a way. I kind of... Because I find it really hard if ever yeah, what's I that? pop what? up. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't. I just switch off. <laughs> do, if, I mean, do you? You know, do I find you, I can't. Really? T- but you don't, ever, don't you feel proud of a scene or something? Like, you just oh, think, no, oh, no, it's no, great. No, I'm never happy. Never happy. <laughs> really? No. no. But, yeah. so I always think, well, you know, we could have done better. So yeah, okay. that's why I stopped, because I no, think I it wasn't that. doing me any good for okay. my work. Are you, do you ever do that? Do you listen to one of your songs and go, hmm, actually, in retrospect, we should have changed that, or...? Not really. It's maybe more. I, I get what you're saying. Actually, maybe with with sort of gigs and TV performances, I don't. I get sent them, and I, I don't. I don't watch them. I think it's it's a bit of a weird one. It's partly because I. I There's nothing I can do. It's gone. It's gone well, exactly, out. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just want to. If I remember it as being great fun, like when we did Jules Holland or we, we did James Corden over in. Um, over in America, actually, last year, which was insane, and, and that was just such a vibey performance. I didn't really want. To, I didn't really want to watch it back because I knew that I'd see something and it would, yeah, ru- and also, it would ruin my sort of memory of it being such a vibey performance. Exactly, it's the, it was at that time and where you were feeling it. And you can yeah. still you can still recall that feeling. Yeah, whereas totally. if you watch it, it's yeah. like stepping out of yourself. Exactly. But the only thing I don't want to miss is kind of watching it. I could see where there could be improvements for next time or something. You know what I mean? I know there's, there's I, well, I hear what where... you're saying, and there's there's a for and against yeah. that as well, even from my side. And there's yeah. some people that do it, and some people that don't. So the guys in the band are great for that because they will watch everything and stuff. Right. So I'll, I'll get a little text from Nick or from Garrow, just just sort of saying, "Man, that that performance was was amazing." Or like, you know, next time we do it, should we look at? You know, bringing the guitar in a bit earlier. You know, there are cool little comments I get from from the guys. Yeah, they're, they are helpful though. If, if you've got somebody else watching your back and you you can change it and tweak yeah. and hone the performances, that's, yeah. that can only be a positive thing. No, exactly, it? exactly. I suppose it's when you look at it and you, you all you can see is the bad things, and then it becomes negative. Yeah, and it's like it can be destructive. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, exactly. If you get it to that level, right? So when what happened with the Jennifers? They, when did that sort of... Yeah, well, I think it's sort of petered out a bit, really, because we, we did all right on that first sort of single. And then it was, then it was time to kind of provide them with another one. Um, I don't know, we, you know, we, we tried and we, we got some tracks together, but I don't think it was... I think it was really what they wanted. They were quite open about it and just sort of said, no, maybe uh, this isn't quite right. Maybe kind of go listen to some more mad records and come back and I don't know just get some inspiration for something new yeah um, and also you you were very young at the time as well, yeah you? so you're all growing up and working out who you are as a person let no, alone totally. an artist yeah totally. and it was still ultimately it was just a school band it was a school band so we yeah well, I think it just sort of naturally kind of um, sort of quietened down and then we kind of morphed a bit into Supergrass and, and kind of met Mick uh, well, I'd known, known Mick around the village because we lived in the same same village. But um, how what what was know. the time period from sort of that disbanding to the slow sort of form of Supergrass? I don't think it was very long. I think it was probably within within a year. You know, just um, I mean, it was also the sort of there was a bit of a scene around Oxford because we were hanging around a lot with with uh, you know Tara Milton, who was in a band called Five Thirty as right. well, and 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 the New Biles and. And and with Sam Williams as well, who produced the first records, first Supergrass record, we'd sort of met up with him as well. So there was this bit of a kind of, um, 
a vibe sort of going around with musicians and and uh, so we kind of jam with each other a little bit and and then yeah just just through I don't know it was probably yeah a year or so from Jennifer's splitting um, then I yeah I was working with Mick in the Harvester restaurant in in, in Wheatley in were, the you on, were you on the salad bar uh, never got that far yeah, you mean, never got if the, only, the salad bar if only it's it where my, we all aspire to I know, be the Harvester my dream house. you know all of those kind of yeah. Um, yeah, there was there was some serious kind of hierarchy issues at the Harvester. There was some sort of some <laughs> big time bullying going on. I mean, I was a KP, you know. I was just in the kitchen, kind of clearing up the shit, and then all the kind of the hot waiters and waitresses were kind of swanning in, just dumping plates at me and stuff. But um, yeah, we just waited for them all to leave, and then we tidy up at the end and put put loads of our music on the on the on the ghetto blaster in the kitchen. And uh, you know, have a bit of a smoke outside, and then mop the floors really stoned, and it kind of helped to get through. And then yeah, we talk about music. Maybe we just talk about music a lot and stuff that we are into, and uh, and then we go back to his after the the shift and and um, just mess around on acoustics. And so that was the kind of beginnings of of something. And obviously, I'd known Danny <clears throat> and played with Danny for a few years. So did you meet Danny at school? <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about sort of. I guess I was 12, he was a year above me, maybe two, maybe two years above me, I can't remember, yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. So you were already friends from that? Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of like, <clears throat> you know, I, I think we were, we were carrying on sort of playing music together and then yeah. Mick came along and it just felt like this cool little three-piece thing. And did you start initially writing together or individually and then bring in the parts no we would just we would just write together because we'd just go to a, uh you know go to one of our houses and, and just set up and and just play really and it was interesting actually because it was no there was nothing based on covers particularly it was all fresh it was all material. about kind of what can we write and very early on it was kind of strange it wasn't like those first tracks there was sort of i don't know there were kind of other elements in it that weren't quite right yet sort of a bit too possibly maybe a bit too funky in places or so. I think all new young bands kind of have a little bit of a time where they're a bit too funky yeah <laughs> and you need to kind of you need to dumb it down a bit and look alright okay look it's fun to play something syncopated and a bit funky yeah it's a laugh but it doesn't mean that everyone's gonna enjoy hearing it no um, so yeah dumb it down a bit just kind of take it back to to something more uh, raw and and also, I mean, you know, yeah. the age that you were then, you should, what was this? Uh, uh, this is probably sort of 92. Right. 93, so yeah, it's like sort of 16. And yeah, uh, just the records that we were listening to as well, just such mad records that we listened to, just what were so diverse. I mean, I don't know, anything from kind of, you know, Zappa and Beefheart to the Muppets. Right. And... Uh, you know, Cheech and Chong and sort of quite a lot of comedy records, like comedy music records, yeah. which is quite mad, which there used to be loads of all the time. Yeah, there used to be. And, um, and then the Beatles, obviously, yeah. and, uh, and Hendrix and stuff, and Neil Young, really, and, and it was, you know... God, that kind uh, of says a lot sort of, for that first album, the, all, the, all those stuff that you were listening to. Yeah, I... Yeah, uh, and Zappa and Beef. Yeah, and I think that's where the sort of... Also, that's kind of where... I don't know, we never really, from day one, we didn't really take ourselves too seriously. I think we were... Um, 
I don't know, I guess we'd come through the 80s and there's quite a lot of, uh, you know, earnest, kind of pompous kind of music going on and, and, yeah. and how it's presented and, and, and how it's seeing bands in interviews. The world and, and, yeah. yeah. And then, I don't know, we always loved watching those Beatles interviews where they would just sort of take the piss and, and kind of give random answers that were, that were silly. So it was quite and conscious sort of thing around. then, just to, to not take it as serious, or I certainly not take yourselves yeah. too serious. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think no, I th- yeah, I think that was where we always found a kind of interesting balance because um, I think when we got into the studio, we, when we had that four-track recorder, cassette recorder set up in the living room, it was a serious thing. You yeah, know? it was like um, you know the, the I guess elements of the process and, and the journey to, to what we'd record were fun and, and there were always moments of of um, surrealness and, and, and you know uh, odd decisions but um, but yeah we, we, we take it seriously the end result and uh, but also maybe cre- you know letting stuff creep into the lyrics that was that would more that would give more of a vibe of our character and our yeah. personalities and, well, that, and stuff that, that we got up to just being four, you know three boys in a village just sort of dicking around and, and getting into trouble. and, and But that yeah. really came across, didn't it? it, it, it yeah. Sometimes in a band you can see the people, but you can't really see the personalities. And I thought something that was immediate. I think that's a, that's one of, that frustrates me a lot, knowing when I know people and what they're like, um, artists or whatever, and then you hear the music and the lyrics and there's nothing... There's nothing it just becomes quite sort of generic and... And sort of rock lyricy, and if for some reason it's, it's kind of like. But when I talk to you, you're hilarious, or you're you just put all these the great, yeah, this, yeah, these insightful kind of um, funny little comebacks and stuff, and you just think, yeah, get some of that in. Oh, it's funny that, isn't it, because when you, sometimes when you listen to certain artists and you go, I'm listening to this song, and I know this this cost you a lot. This comes mm. from a right old yeah. bit of heartache or something that you've mm. been through, and then you can listen to something else and you go. This is nothing. It might as well just be white noise. It don't. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't connect with you, so it's certainly not going to connect with me. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, you know, it is a hard one. It's kind of it's subjective, and, and it's you know, it's not like you know, you always have to kind of uh, you know bleed onto record or, mm-hmm. or, or, or or whatever. But it's I think just some directness in terms of you know um, lyrics and how yeah maybe how. You know, one could not take oneself too seriously at times, and just yeah, just play with it. Do you, you still know? feel that now to take take the work seriously, but not yourself too seriously, or have you do you, do you think things have morphed? Uh, yeah, no, I do feel this sort of my, my, in my DNA. I guess. I mean, there's sort of it's been you know interesting for me to explore, you know, stuff that feels kind of personal to me on, on these records. I mean, I guess they're sort of solo records. They're just they're from they're from. Um, you know, my my mind. Yeah. So, um, so it is there are going to be questions. Yeah. yeah so there gonna are going to be, be questions, and there are going to be kind of intense, kind of personal moments, which I'm fine about. In fact, it was kind of uh, that was quite liberating as well to realise that it's okay to just be really quite brutally honest in a in a song. Uh, Do you think there was a time when you weren't honest? I think that I think there were times, maybe when we write by committee on lyrics which got a little bit cloudy but it was cool because we were always from day one we would write together lyrics as well which is other people can find quite strange sort of notion but um did that seem to gel 
quite easily the yeah, three yeah, of you yeah. Well, together. because we were just sort of, it was like we were sort of brothers, just yeah. sort of growing up. So we were doing everything together. So if one of us started writing about a girl, you know, the others were aware of that girl and, or whatever it was, you yeah. know, we could all sort of have some input in, uh, in whatever idea came along. I mean, Caught by the Fuzz. Although there was only me involved in that night where, um, well, when where I got caught. arrested. But we, I was on my way to Danny's and I was so, with friends that were all of our friends. So, so when there we, is a link. Yeah. yeah, so when we came to wrote that, we wrote that all together. You know, that was a kind of a collaborative thing. And, and that was really cool. I think that was what, what worked brilliantly with, with, with the lyrics um, early on, especially, and, and equally, you know, through, through our career at, at different times. But, yeah, there were definitely times where it was... It was like pulling teeth, definitely, yeah, trying to, trying to write lyrics, the sort of three of us, together. <laughs> but when you say sometimes writing by committee, was that the, the label bosses, sort of? Or... No, no, no. It was, no, it was just us, you know, that was just... It was just an extension of how we started, so through every, you know, even on, even on, um, on Diamond Hoo-Ha, which is our last studio album, there was still a kind of similar approach to, to writing. Yeah. Maybe a bit more kind of separate demos because technology and you know a few of us had sort of you know four track record eight track recorders or whatever by that point or even computers actually by that point but uh so yeah little change little soul changes here and there but yeah. no the 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 sort of essence was was the same yeah because certainly i think the videos are, are, were such a big thing i think throughout the, the supergrass years mm-hmm. and especially the early ones they had such a definite style we talked about people's characters coming across before and mm-hmm. they always really pinged out in those videos was that something that all three of you consciously had input into and something that you wanted to do yeah well and also because we had uh, uh nick goffey and dom hawley who were friends of ours doing the videos yeah so they were i mean nick's danny's brother so that was kind of like the band thing in, in terms of us all understanding where each other's coming from or, or uh, you know, knowing the context of, a, of a, a lyric. It's the same with the videos. We, we understood immediately the context that, that Nick or Dom was presenting this idea to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was kind of easy, you know. That was easy in a way. It was just, it was like a big gang, you know, the three of us and then Nick and Dom just kind of, creating something mad and visual and we were lucky it was a good time well i say a good time it was it was a sort of healthy time financially in music in the industry so that you would you know you'd get big um get big, big budgets for the videos, for the videos yeah. and stuff so it just meant you could you know explore these mad ideas without too much worry and, and were you given the freedom to do that mm, yeah yeah wow. yeah definitely. has that changed a lot throughout the years Oh yeah, completely. completely. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's. No, I mean, I mean, if you, I guess, if you're, yeah, if you're a, a huge band, if you're a huge artist on a major label, there's, there's obviously still the money to make big videos. But I think, um, but our videos, the level that we were at at the beginning, no, if it was, if that was now, there'd be, there'd be kind of nothing really. But music yeah. videos aren't as, as much of a thing. And the culture as well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was really, it was like a kind of, yeah, it was, a, it was a big time for music videos. It was mm. like kind of. It was like 1981 all over again with MTV or whatever, it, whenever it kind of yeah. came out. But yeah, that sort of, um, you know, that real freshness around, around music videos and just ideas and having something fun and cinematic and, and you know, adventurous. Because um, there used so, yeah. to be that time when, oh, it's the big new music video from 
X, Y, and Z, whoever it was, and that would be shown. And it was, well, a, it. It was yeah, a, you'd have it was a chance like a show, premiere, yeah. yeah. But we don't have yeah. those those programs. No, I know it's, it's true. I mean, they were they were kind of they were good barometers. I mean, it was like top of the pops was it was the perfect barometer really for, for sort of kind of however you perceive success. I always felt that if you know the first time we were on top of the pops, it was like. I called my mum and it's like we've, we've done it <laughs> we've yeah. made it it's like that's it simple but, yeah. there's no I don't, there's no other particular kind of barometer for 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 if we've made it whereas now yeah I mean now it's 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 there's so many angles you can come at it from and you can also build up your your fan base over time you know online and through social media and it's kind of um, there's there's tons of angles you can you can yeah. hit it from these days but yeah I, it's kind of you know I mean, nothing, nothing's better or worse. It just, it just, it just was changed, interesting. Yeah. It's quite sort of charming and it's quite interesting to look back at things like that and think, yeah, it was, it's a very simple um, realisation. But, you know, even... I remember feeling... I just often feel really lucky that we were, uh, I guess, part of the end of a um, an enormous sort of period of time in music where you, people would record to tape, mm. you know, and that was the only thing that was available... And in 95, 94, 95, it still was. That was the only thing you could record on. Mm. There were no computers. So it's kind of... I sort of look back at that and feel kind of lucky that, that yeah, we were on the very, very tail end of how music was being made in, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. 60s. The same, same way, same approach. Um, yeah, so that's kind of cool. But, yeah, no, I never particularly sort of... Uh, it's, it's not like a... I particularly miss it. It's just, again, it's just an interesting kind of side note. Yeah, and you were there and you had that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to ask you how true. Sorry, how... Is that you? That's not me. That's unbelievable. That's terrible. I was just so excited to start talking. Whose phone's that? Is that you, Julie? Alex, it is me. Oh, unbelievable. Look, we're having a right old good natter here, guys, and you're leaving your phone on. (laughs) Terrible. Look, it's, uh, it's my daughter. No, it's fine. <laughs> I have to, I'll deal with it later. Right. <clears throat> Tell me how true... Tell me everything. If true is the Spielberg story. Mm. Yeah, man. Because I remember hearing about it at the time and I didn't know if it was sort of whispers or not. <laughs> yeah, it was true. It was, please, yeah. please tell me the Spielberg it was, story. It was bonkers, actually. I mean, it was... Um, Exactly, remember how it came about. It was in between the first two records, that's for sure. So, all right, it'd been out, video been out. Had that big summer of '95, um, and I think it was the following spring. Um, just got this random call, yeah, from um, from uh, Spielberg's people. Yeah, uh, Julie will probably Julie's over there. She'll probably remember it better than I. I do how it all came about. But yeah, we just got a call. Or an email or whatever, and just um, said, just yeah, Stephen would be interested in, in in meeting the band. His, I think it's his kids were like a big fan of the video, the yeah. all right video. As yeah, we were just talking about the importance mm. of videos. And stuff. I think his kids had seen it. For all I know, they'd seen it and said, "Daddy, I want that band." <laughs> so, you know, get me that band. So uh, I don't know what's how it came about, but yeah, it was bonkers. So we heard about it, and we all sort of. Thought it was hilarious because <clears throat> um, he, he wanted to do sort of a monkey style TV show. Is uh, that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how particularly how well. Yeah, because I mean, well, the weird thing was that we kind of thought it was a bit of a 
not a joke, but just one of those things that would go away. And then, then they got back in touch to, for us to go over there to meet him at, at Universal Studios. Oh, to, God, so uh, it to, really to his a little bit. Yeah, no, it, you know, it was kind of like, well, he wants us to go over. So we just thought, thought yeah, well, look, we've got to go over and meet him, whether we're going to do it or not. We were, I think we were probably had a hunch that we wouldn't do something like that, but we wanted to hear what the deal was. And, um, and yeah, it wasn't like a monkey's... Well, I guess it sort of probably... It kind of was, but it was... Um, it wasn't really mentioned too much, that, that as a kind of template. But, uh, yeah, it was a TV show based on a band, yeah, living together. Sounds like the monkeys, doesn't Sounds it? Sounds like the monkeys. <laughs> bit of music, a bit of comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's monkeys, guys. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, just not, I'm not going to kid myself anymore. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we were supposed to do monkeys. But it was, do you know what? It was amazing. We, 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 sat, we sat down at this big table with him and his PA and a few other people. Uh, I was sat next to him actually, and, and I had a little moment before the start of the meeting just to just to say hello and and and, and chat about a few things. And, and within sort of seconds, somehow we moved on to Twilight Zone. Right, I think because I was watching loads of Twilight Zone at that point, all the black and white ones. I just got really, really into them. So we had a, we had this great little chat about Twilight Zone and, and different episodes, and you know the episode where he's, the guy's the last man on earth and he wants to read that's all he wants to do is read books and then his glasses fall off and break and he can't yeah. find you know and then you know these the watch that stops and then freezes time so so we had this brilliant little chat about our favorite twilight zone episodes what and is then, your what is your favorite twilight zone episode off the top of your head um probably uh i don't know you said well probably there's an 80s version there's a one with john lithgow in the uh with the terror at oh, 30, I'm, I'm, from thirty thousand feet whatever i'm going i'm in way back way i think back. i think the probably the, the one where he, his glasses fall off where he's the I had all the time I needed. Well, I, was, I can't remember what the line <laughs> I was. I can't remember what the time was, but I've got that image in my yeah. head. Uh, I but had I... time. I had so much time. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. But the one I remember that really sticks in my mind that really freaked me out, and for some reason I think it was William Shatner, and I'm not sure if it was, but it's about the guy that gets on a plane. Yeah, by that's, the, it is Shatner, yeah, isn't it? That's, yeah, so that's, by the was, window seat. Exactly, yeah. And there's a storm in there, and he keeps looking out, and there's the little gremlin who's yeah, literally yeah. taking the part of but the no, wing aside and amazing. he slowly loses his shit yeah. on this plane it is incredible it's amazing so have you seen the 80s version of that with, with, with John, Lith- John Lithgow no. yeah. it's, it's brilliant well, it's called Twilight Zone the movie uh, when they, you know that period of time in the 80s where everything was like you know, the movie Santa Claus the movie Creepshell uh, the movie yeah. Yeah. so it was that yeah Twilight Zone and it was um, I don't know there was, I, I don't know if Spielberg directed one or there was some a few big directors but there was like a three uh, three short films to make up this movie, and it's and it's. I do remember it because I saw it on Betamax. I know, and then Dan, Dan Aykroyd's in the first one where they're driving along, and Dan Aykroyd goes, "Do you want to see something really scary?" Yes, yes, yeah. I did. What a brilliant opening! <laughs> yeah, yeah I do remember it. Up. Yeah, yeah. And I watched that first. I probably first watched it. When I was about seven, and it just utterly destroyed. It freaked me out. Yeah, like so just I just was obsessed with it. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I was desperate to to speak to him about that for some reason. So you're having a big <laughs> Twilight Zone chat yeah. in Spielberg's office, and then yeah, and then I just it was just pretty general chit chat really, and they, they they mentioned about the possibility of of of, of doing a pilot for a TV show where, where we're all kind of musicians in a house, and uh, I, t- I can't particularly remember the conversation too too well, but um, but you obviously were we, all in agreement that you well, were, we knew we really knew straight it. away pretty much. I mean, we were all, we were already working on in it for the money. 
uh, the beginnings of, of the second album. Right. Um, and um, which actually wasn't yet called In It For The Money. And I think a lot of these things that happened to us kind of paved the way for that title to, <laughs> to come about. But um, uh, in an obviously ironic way. Um, yeah, so we, we, uh, we just knew that it, it, it wasn't... You know, I think, I think it was just that idea of fast-tracking through America by, you know, doing something that, that kind of takes you right up there, you know, kind of quickly up, you know, the fame stakes and, and whatever. And I think... I just think we knew that it wasn't right for us. Yeah. You know, we had a lot to do. We was just... You know, the back, off the back of Ashikoko, it was... You know, it was amazing. It was... We were really a great point, you know, and a, and a great place. At a great time. At a, at a great time. And I don't think we wanted to sort of disturb that. And just, you know, we weren't, you know, we were pretty clued up in terms of how it, it could work out. Basically, it was one of us sort of ODing in a hotel room, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it just felt weird, like it might all go a bit tits up. Yeah. I suppose if you get thrust into that spotlight too quickly yeah yeah but you know definitely just the pull the pull of the uh the second record was, was really strong for us i think um so i don't know if people look at that and think it was a ridiculous decision but we felt that it was um no really I, bet, important. I, I don't think they would because you were on a quite a natural progression mm. from the first album and it was only gonna be going like that so to veer off to the right on something that was kind of completely different that you hadn't done I don't know I, I'm was, kind of in your camp I, don't, I think you made the right decision well it was perfectly in tune with <laughs> with our slightly self-destructive kind of ways in terms of like the, our career yeah you know? and I and I, I, I don't know actually maybe self-destructive is the wrong word but just um, um, you never came yeah, across taking as... sort of left but just sort of taking left weird turns when you could take a sort of take an easy fast you know route we'd kind of go somewhere different or and I think the fact we didn't make another the second album wasn't like Ashikoko and we didn't do all right again and things like that it was a very different record um but I suppose so not self maybe sort of self-sabotaging somehow but in a kind of creative way I kind of I thought that was in a way, quite a beautiful thing about our band. Yeah. You know, it was always about the sort of purity of being creative and, and not taking the easy route. Do you ever miss being in a band? Uh, it's not really a case of missing it, you know. Um, you know I suppose I, I, you've still got the camaraderie of your, yeah, your yeah, band. Ex- no, exactly. Not like... Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, toured... I guess toured around the world quite a fair, you know, a fair bit over the last six, seven years, with these brilliant musicians that I'm playing with and, and brilliant people. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great laugh. I love it. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a case of particularly missing it. I think, you know, um, yeah, you know, occasionally look, you know, look back at moments that that were brilliant, or um, you know, some of those American tours, you know, just travelling around with the Foo Fighters and. You know, spending a lot of t- time with Dave Grohl and Taylor, and, and getting to know them, and those, those are some brilliant times. And, and touring with Pearl Jam, and playing yeah. with The Cure in Brazil in front of wow. eighty thousand people, and you know, some insane moments. Yeah. 
You don't miss them. You don't miss them. You just sort of think they were great. Yeah. And um, you know, I think it's for me. It's been, you know, and this is not taking anything away from Supergrass, but I think it's been the most productive and creative time of my life this last five years. You know. Well, in, as a in, listener, I, I I would tend to agree. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely. Thank you. But you, yeah, it just feels it feels great. It's just different parts of life, man. Mm. You know, and I think. This is this is only this is what I'm doing now. This is just the moment I'm in, and I'm gonna try and appreciate this moment and live in it because I don't think I did that enough, you know, back in the day. I d- it does, you know, it doesn't really matter. I was young, and I think when you're young, you'd kind of often it's sort of seat of the pants, you know, and, yeah, and exactly. it's a bit like riding a wave, which is kind of how I remember it. A bit of a blurry, you know, fast wave that you sort of try and stay on. And it's, a, you know, change is inevitable and it's progression and it's maturing as a human being and as an artist and mm. things are going to change. You're not going to take those left and right turns that you didn't think you'd take. Yeah, no, for sure. And just, yeah, just and just that sort of freedom to experiment and to create and, um, yeah, it's been a sort of magical time for me, actually, you know, last few years. Loved it. Well, carry on having a magical time, please, guys. I'll try. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on. Oh, I love thank you, Craig. To you, oh no, it's been, it's been yeah, I've been meaning to get in touch for a long time. So well, I'm come and hook up. I'm so. pleased we sorted it out, man. Wicked. Yeah, me too. Thank you Thanks, so much. Thanks, mate. Nice one. And another episode is done what a fella i told you i said i have met one of the nicest guys in the music industry and that is gaz coombs i'm so happy that he came on um what a thrilling chat everything music broken bones life tour it was a banger uh, so a massive thank you to gaz and julie for sorting all that out and thank you for downloading, subscribing. You know I say this every week, but it really means so much to me and Griff. Keep spreading the word. And also, uh, if you're up in Edinburgh, make sure you've got to see Amy Booth Steele. I think she's sold out now in Honest Amy. You've got Rosa Hesmond-Holsch in Madame Overy. I think she's sold out. My friend Matt Ford is there. Um, Who else is there? Jack Rook is there. There's so many amazing people. Make sure you go and support. Get a ticket if you can. And, uh, yeah, support us, because next week it's episode 95 of the Two Shot Podcast. And I'll let you into a little secret. I have just recorded episode 100 with a very, very special guest. And uh, we'll let you know in due course. Until then, take care, stay safe, be sound. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.